On this episode of Documental, I'm speaking with JT, a body weight strength training expert. JT, thanks so much for coming on. Good to have you, man, or good to be on, rather. So let's talk about body weight exercises. This is your thing. So can we get a basic introduction and uh, kind of a, a step-by-step uh, process into maximizing our results from this type of exercise? Sure. Um, so what happened with me is um, when I was a little backstory, basically out of high school, I went into the Marine Corps. And so my first experience with body weight training was at, at boot camp. And the way that we trained, um, it wasn't to build a lot of muscle or to be big. It was to have maximal endurance. And so I think what most people associate with body weight training is going to be high rep, high repetitions of, you know, whether it's push-ups or jumping jacks or, or burpees or whatever it is that they think it's usually high repetition and people think like, okay, that's good to lose weight or get in shape, but you can't really build real muscle like that. Um, and that was basically my attitude because that was my experience. Um, but at that time, you know, in, in boot camp, you're being ran around like crazy. Your energy expenditure is super high. So it wouldn't matter if you were lifting or what you're, you're not going to gain weight, right? You're, you're so when I got out of boot camp and I was not an athlete in high school or anything like that, um, I went to, a, to additional schooling where I didn't really do any additional workouts. Um, but then I got stationed in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere. And across from my barracks was a gym. And so I thought, well, I might as well work out because there's literally nothing to do out in the middle of the desert. So <laughs> I walked in the gym and not having been an athlete, I looked around and it looked like a bunch of medieval torture devices, right? I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to leave. And what I did is I went and bought um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Guide to Modern Bodybuilding. Oh, I have that book. Yes. Yeah. So I read it front to back because I had... I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew walking in with zero plan and just doing random crap was not smart, right? So I read the whole book and then it was primarily lifting, although the Arnold in, in that era, they did do a decent amount of body weight type training as well. But so I went back and started lifting. And so I just lifted, but I never really furthered past that initial book. I never furthered my knowledge of lifting. I bought some bodybuilding magazines. And over the years, I just went and did like some bench press and, you know, the basic, I, I would think probably like the average person, like you just read enough to feel like you kind of know what you're doing or follow like a program from a magazine, but I never really got into it too much. Um, and so the reason I, I mentioned the backstory basically, um, so I, I worked out like that for some years and then my wife and I, uh, when I was 26, we had a little girl. And when she was three years old, we put her in gymnastics. So that was my first experience with gymnastic style training, having come from just basic weightlifting. Um, and when she was young, you know, that she's three or four years old, you don't see the, the physique change at that age. But I was in a gym, in a gymnastics gym, and that was my first exposure to it. So at that point, I didn't let that really impact me. I didn't think about it in terms of affecting how I worked out. Um, but when she turned five, she started, started school and, uh, her first year of kindergarten, then she had summer vacation. And during summer vacation, my wife has a career I worked. And so it was like, what are we going to do with her all summer? And so we had to basically alter our schedule. And the only option was I had to be home and couldn't go to the gym majority of the days. And so that was the first time when I thought, okay, I don't have equipment in my house. I'm going to have three months of not going to the gym. Basically, what am I going to do to maintain 
or, or, you know, make progress without gym equipment. So that, that instance, that summer was the first time I had like to think outside of lifting weights and think of using my body as resistance. And so I bought a book called the naked warrior, um, by a guy named Pavel, who's a, a strength and conditioning coach, very well known. And it's only on two movements. It's just push-ups and squats is the only thing the book covers. But he spends most of the book talking about strength and technique to developing strength. And then he applies it to those two movements. And that was the first time having originally read Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding book. That was the first time I actually even contemplated like strength training principles, period, not just with weights you know, instead of just doing more repetitions or whatever, now I was thinking in terms of, okay, um, applying, like I mentioned, strength principles to body weight training. And so that, that summer I ended up doing just like pull-ups, push-ups, body weight squats, um, some core exercises, nothing crazy, but I actually leaned out and I did not lose any muscle mass, uh, for three months. And so that at least opened up my eyes. At that point, I still wasn't thinking like, oh, you can build a big, strong physique with body weight training. But I was thinking like, man, I didn't lose anything. I was worried that this summer I was going to take, you know, steps backward and I didn't. Um, But what happened is as soon as summer was over, I went right back to the gym. And what I did is I started using the body weight um, push-ups, pull-ups and that kind of stuff. I would warm up with that. And then I would do my other workout or I would do my workout and then finish with some of that stuff. But in my mind, and this is like when you mentioned, what's the difference? So in my mind at that point, I think probably like most people, I had the mentality that I got to get to the gym for a real workout, but I can make do with a body weight training if I have to, right? That's kind of so the attitude. True, yeah. And so that's what I think most people, I, th- I think people recognize, hey, yeah, you can do push-ups, pull-ups, you can do all that stuff and you can lose some weight. But and I hear it all the time, but if you want to get a real workout, you got to go to the gym or you got to lift. Right. So fast forward, um, my daughter turned nine and my wife and I had our second kid. And when she was pregnant toward the end, uh, it became really difficult to get to the gym, but this time around, and this was, he's four. So a little over four years ago, this time around, my daughter was turning nine. She was, you know, nine, 10 years old. And since she was getting older, a lot of the girls at the gym are getting older and they're starting to look different. And so I'm looking at these little girls and they're jacked. Like, you know, female gymnasts are are incredibly well built as are male gymnasts, but Mm -hmm. being around the gym for a few more years and gymnastics for a few more years. And we, we took her to UCLA and they're the top team in collegiate um, gymnastics in the country year after year. And I'm looking at these, you know, 21 year old collegiate athletes, and they are, their musculature, they could walk out on a physique or a, a, a female stage for physique competition and, and hang. And they don't lift weights and they don't train like bodybuilders at all, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, what really made me decide, okay, I'm going to go 100% into this just body weight, train like a gymnast was the Olympics at that time. Uh, it was before Rio. So we had, um, I think it was Seoul, Japan. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, but anyways... I saw an interview with a male U.S. gymnast, and they were asking him about his training. <clears throat> They're like, oh, what kind of lifting do you do? And he said, I don't lift. It's all body weight. And the guy was just a beast, you know? <laughs> so I was like, okay, if those guys can do it, and I get they, they've done a lifetime of training, but I'm like, if those guys can do it, you know, I'm not going to be a gymnast doing double backflips or anything. 
But if those guys can build that physique without weights, and I'm watching my daughter and the girls that are 9, 10, 11, 12 years old that are just super muscly and lean, like I'm seeing it happen. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to try to apply this myself. And now that we're having another, another kid, I'm just going to work out at home from now on. I actually canceled my gym membership to force myself to not just go back, oh, I'm having a hard time. Let me go back to lifting, right? So I kind of decided I'm going to apply myself to this, and I'm not going to lift. Um, until I get to a certain point where I feel like I've accomplished, you know, I don't think you ever truly master something because there's always somebody better, smarter, further ahead. So I don't want to say master at all. But when I get to a certain point, um, maybe I'll start throwing some, some lifting back in. But I, in the past, the problem for me was I just fell back on lifting as a crutch instead of really progressing into more progressive calisthenics or body weight training. So the second time around four years ago, I canceled my gym membership. I, I own some weights, but I basically stopped going to the gym. I stopped lifting. Uh, and that's when I devoted myself a hundred percent to body weight training. So sorry. I know that was a long, no, that was amazing. Um, interesting story, JT, because it seems like a lot of the pieces in your life were coming together slowly in the different stages, right? You were in the desert and there just happened to be a gym across, across the yeah. way. And then you have a daughter that's into gymnastics and you start to see the different exercises and the composition, body compositions. Right. Um, and then you actually start doing the exercises yourself through trial and error. So it was all coming to this point where you realize that actually calisthenics uh, might be a legitimate way of exercising for a lot of people. They have to try it out. And there's a lot of benefits, it seems like, for trying right. it out because, like you said, you cancel your gym membership. I mean, think about the money that you save annually. Oh, yeah, to huge. To get in better shape and to feel better overall, the energy level. So um, that's something to take consideration. I don't know if you remember, JT, we had a discussion earlier where you, you put up a video of you doing some interesting leg workout, might have been a squat or something, but mm -hmm. I mentioned how, like, look at, I said something like, look at JT right now. He is using only his body and outside, like the outside environment to exercise. There has to be a way of engaging the creative centers of your brain because you have to be uh, resourceful with the limited stuff that you have around you and, and still pull it off. So it's interesting. There are many benefits of this approach. Yeah. And one of the things that I think for me, um, and, and part of it was my own fault, right? So I going to the gym and lifting, I wasn't one of these people who was uh, constantly reading um, strength coaches and I, I wasn't scouring for more information to make my training better. And I know there's a lot of people like that. So one of the distinctions I make to people is, body weight strength training has benefits over traditional strength training with with resistance um, and vice versa there's some benefits to traditional resistance tr training over body weight strength training but to me you know when i first walked in a gym i thought okay i'm not strong i'm weak but i'm going to do a bench press i'm going to do a squat and 15 years later i'm doing a bench press i'm doing a squat so <clears throat> i do think that for the average person the lack of creativity. And I mean, there's a million exercises, but at the end of the day, doing the same thing, the same exact thing for 15 years, I, I was definitely facing some burnout and I was pig headed enough to just keep going. Right. And so the thing that for body weight strength training, I find really appealing is that there's movements like an iron cross. Almost no humans will ever do an iron cross. If you've seen that in gymnastics where they're on the ring, and they basically straight out to the sides and they're just, you know, and it look like a cross on it. It's incredibly difficult, but you can work toward that. If that's something you want to do the, the, you know, 
the progression never really ends. There's movements that are so difficult that if you enjoy it, you're never going to be, you're never going to make it. You're never going to get there where you're like, man, I'm, I'm there. You know what I mean? There's always something harder. So for me, I, I enjoyed the progressive challenge of it's like most people, okay, I'm, I'm doing 30, 40 rep sets of pushups. Like, okay, now what's next? I got to go lift. But in, well, with, with what I'm doing, it's okay. I'm doing 30 rep sets of pushups. How can I make pushups harder? Mm-hmm. And eventually you're doing, you know, one arm pushups, nose to floor or, you know, okay, pull up, pull-ups are never really too easy, but okay. Now let's say pull-ups are easy. I'm doing 30 rep sets of pull-ups. Well, can I do a pull-up with one arm? I mean, and when I first tried that, I couldn't even move. I, I just hung there for like two seconds <laughs> fell off. You know what I mean? And right. I was like, man, how are these guys doing this? And so to me, the, the coolest, one of the cool things about body weight strength training is just that there's those future exercises that you can't do now as like a dangling carrot, you know, and it's similar. I understand people could say, well, maybe you're a female and you say, I want to bench my body weight, right? I want to bench 135 pounds or whatever. That, that's cool. And it's a worthy goal, but benching 135 and benching hundred, it's still the exact same movement. So to me, the it's, it's kind of like a fun factor that's built into it, right? You're, you're doing new stuff. And, and like, like when you're working on handstands, when you're a little kid, you do that stuff for fun we become adults and we stop having fun kind of. And so with the body weight strength training there, to me, there's a fun element. Um, and with a daughter being a gymnast, I'm doing the same stuff she's doing. So that, yeah. that part, that part's really cool. But even if you don't have kids that are gymnasts or whatever, it, it, it really is kind of fun. You're practicing handstands and falling over and you know, like it, it's, it's a little different. Um, and so I do think there's an element of fun and that scalability and learning new things that, you know, it's not just the same thing over and over. So I think that part um, is, is one of the most unique parts. And then, like you mentioned, being able to do it anywhere. So you go on vacation. Oh, cool. I'm going to go out on the beach and work out on the beach. And I, all I need is my body. Or in the backyard when the weather's nice, I'm going to go take my shirt off and get some vitamin D. Or, you know, if, if you're a, a female, I'm going to put on my sports bra and go out in the backyard and get some vitamin D. So you're getting some sunshine. You're out in nature. Um, I can't really work out inside a gym regularly anymore just because I feel like, you know, after working out outside in the mornings of the cool air and, and green grass and birds and whatever the case is like, there is a, to me, a mental benefit and there, you know, vitamin D synthesis and higher serotonin levels. And we can get into all that, but, but working out outside in nature and getting in a green environment, it's like you're killing multiple birds with one stone. You know what I mean? During that 30 minutes you were working out, you're also bettering your mental state. You're also getting your, your vitamin D and your sunshine for the day, um, fresh air. So, so that, that's a part of it. I think you can't, unless you have resistance training weight equipment outside and you work out outside, which I know some people do do that, but that's something to think about. You know, we, we spend so much time indoors. The average person does anyways, that when you can be efficient and you can get your workout done and you can do it outside. Um, I think that's a huge benefit. Totally. There are so many benefits and ways to save money, save energy, resources. It just makes sense. So uh, I hope that listeners really take this into consideration. Let's transition a little bit from fitness to nutrition here. Sure. Uh, you recently tried the carnivore diet. Could you let us know how that went for you and if you see yourself sticking with this or trying something new? Um, so December, December 2018, I decided to go ahead and institute it. And I read a little bit about it for about a month before, well, a lot about it actually, for about a month prior to that. And coming from a 
I've been moderate carbohydrate since probably 2009. Before that, working out and eating in a surplus to try to gain weight. And um, I was young, right in my 20s at that point. So I didn't really have any negative health outcomes from that, but I did start to get fat. And mm -hmm. I didn't see myself as fat until my wife kept telling me, hey, you're getting fat. And I was like, nah. Because <laughs> you know, in my mind, like, well, I'm working out. I'm just, I'm getting, putting on size, whatever. And really, it was just fat. And uh, we, we went on vacation and I saw pictures of myself with no shirt on at the beach with her. And when we got them, this is right before 2006, maybe. So when you had to actually still get disposable cameras developed, you know, Oh yeah. So when we got the film developed and I looked at it and I was like, Oh my God, I'm like getting fat. <laughs> and so I was pushing like a 38 inch waist, which I'm only five, eight, not, not quite five, nine. So 38 inch waist is pretty big around the middle, you know? So from there, that was when I first started really paying attention to my diet, which I think for a lot of people in their twenties, you can get away with those indiscretions. And then in your late 20s, it starts to catch up with you, which is what it did for me. So at that point, I went more moderate carb and just cleaned up my diet. And I slowly lost some weight. Um, but then probably 2016 was the first time I experimented with like very low carb diet. So I, I did a ketogenic diet for about eight or nine months. I felt really good. Um, energy levels were really high. Cognitive function, I think, was higher on a ketogenic diet for me than a, than a standard diet. Um, after like six or seven months, I, I, I'm a relentless self-experimenter. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I want to come off of this now and see what, you know, just how I feel. And, and since, the, so I came off of that for about a year and then I went back on to a ketogenic diet. But even the year I was off, I just found that for me, I perform best on a, in a lower carbohydrate range. <clears throat> so during that year, I was maybe 100 to 125 grams a day which is still fairly low. So even, even, so for the last probably close to decade, I've been a lower carb guy. I've, I've not eaten above probably 125 to 150 grams a day. But throughout all this time, I've had, since I was 21, I think, is when it first started cropping up. So close to 20 years of, of silent reflux. So when I'm not eating, it's not an issue. But then as soon as I have a meal, there's a lot of hacking and coughing and clearing my throat and mucus and uh, the only real option is to take, you know, pharmaceuticals for it, which I, I feel like it's the lesser of two evils. And I don't really know which one the lesser is. Is it mm. the silent reflux worse? Or are these, you know, antacid medications? Are they worse? Yeah. So <clears throat> when I started, because I've follow on Twitter, people that are low carb and things like that, I started seeing some carnivore people pop up that were keto and they went to carnivore. And my first re reaction to that was like, man, these people are nuts. They're not eating any vegetables. They're insane. Like, yeah, that's you know, what I thought too. <laughs> and so that was just my initial reaction, but I'm, but I'm always very in inquisitive. So I started seeing more and more of them and uh, some of them had been doing it for a few years. Right. And I thought to myself, okay, I've seen a few of these people that tell their story and some of them had skin issues, autoimmune issues, and some had reflux. And I'd seen multiple people say that it went away or was almost completely gone once they went to a carnivore diet. So for me, I thought, okay, I'm going to try this for 30 days and see if my issues improve. And then if so, I'll just take it from there. But my original um, intent was to do it for 30 days. And if it did clear up the, <clears throat> the reflux and the skin issues, then I would start testing foods, reintroduce foods and start adding things back in. So I went into it and after it, once I did it in my mind also, I thought, okay, 
I'm not going to be eating any carbs. Even keto, you're allowed a certain number. And I was like, man, I'm going to have no carbs. I wonder if my workouts are going to suck. My energy levels are going to tank. And surprisingly, workout-wise and energy-wise, from, from, from a physical work or from a training standpoint, I felt better than I did keto. Uh, so from an athletics perspective, I preferred it. And so I was kind of surprised that as I transitioned into this, my workouts didn't, not only didn't suffer, but they got better. Uh, so I thought, okay, maybe I'll do this a little longer. And I also thought going into it that I was going to have these cravings for other foods because it's, it's kind of limited. And what I found is the foods are satiating to the point where I, I didn't really have the cravings that I thought I was going to have. So from December to late February, I didn't cheat or test any foods other than I just kept going with the carnivore approach because I felt really good. My skin was clear. My GERD was gone. Uh, and then my daughter's birthday, she wanted to eat sushi. <clears throat> so I thought, okay, well, we'll go. And while I like to experiment on myself, I'm also a dad. And so I'm going to put my kids first, even at my own peril sometimes, right? So I thought, okay, I'm just going to go plow sushi and hopefully I don't, you know, my skin doesn't flare up and all this stuff. <clears throat> so we went and ate sushi and uh, my GERD did act up. So I don't know if it was just the volume of the meal or having the carbs on top of everything else, but definitely my, my reflux acted up, but it was one meal. So that's like, that's not the end of the world for me. I'm not worried about reflux one time. It's, it's the consistent reflux where it's a problem, right? So we did that and then it was a few weeks past and then we went to pizza and I ate pizza, the GERD acted up, the reflux. So the two times I tested pizza, I tested sushi, they definitely, lots of hacking, lots of coughing. Um, so the reflux for sure is triggered um, when I eat like that. As far as the skin issues, I had psoriasis in between my fingers. Um, that from single meal, I didn't have a problem with, uh, but I did test out almonds peanuts and both almonds and peanuts cause my skin to flare up and to basically you know it starts well you probably can't see it because it's cleared up now but it starts with like it gets really red and itchy and over time it'll progress to where i have like white scaly flakes mm. and uh, sometimes wake up in the middle of the night just crazy itchy um so <clears throat> but not having the skin issues and not having the gerd it's like why to me, I think in terms of like, why am I going to add these foods back in on any consistent basis, right? Even, even like sushi. So I was able to eat it and it didn't trigger my skin, but I don't know if eating it once, is it, if I'm eating that way daily now, is it then going to compound and cause the issue to come back? Or it could have been a specific, um, a specific food I was eating. I was actually eating a lot of spinach when I was keto. Um, you know, I thought for health, health reasons, well, I want to get a lot of greens, um, but in spinach, there's certain anti-nutrients or there's certain compounds that are fine for most people, but some people are sensitive. So looking back now, I'm thinking, what were the foods that I eliminated that I ate with the most frequency? And it was tons of spinach. Um, that was probably the chief one. I ate it basically every day. Lots of berries, although they would, I would, from doing research, I think spinach would be more likely to cause it than berries. So mm. essentially, I'm at a point now where I've been eating carnivore for like six months and when I look at, okay, do I want to add foods back in? I'm not dogmatic where I think, okay, this carnivore diet is some super diet. And if I eat a cup of berries, I'm going to have some detrimental effects, right? Like I, I don't think that, oh man, if I ate some avocado or if I went and ate a taco, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have these, these terrible effects. Some people have gastrointestinal disorders where, yeah, if they even deviate 
a small amount, it, it wrecks them, right? And they're, they're in bed for two days. You know, people have gastritis and all these different things, Crohn's disease. And so, but, but in my particular issue, it's just the really annoying skin itch and then the GERD. So where I'm at now is, do I want to start adding some foods back in? Uh, and then at that point, test those foods, see how I do for a week or two, and then maybe expand that palate a little bit. And I haven't quite answered that for myself yet. So I, I don't want to tell people, man, I feel great doing this carnivore diet. I'm going to do this until I die. And I'm never going to eat a vegetable again because I don't know what I'm going to do in six weeks or a month or you know what I'm saying. Right. Um, but what I do know is from doing it for six months and f having it really open my eyes and having done more research, um, for me being a, a very inquisitive person, I, I, I don't, just jump into things without feeling comfortable enough with my health that I'm not going to damage myself doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think short term, no matter what kind of diet you do in, in two or three months, you're not going to damage yourself. Right. You could go eat Twinkies for two or three months. And as soon as you stop eating them, there's not, you didn't eat it long enough to cause, you know, insulin resistance, or you didn't, uh, you didn't do it long enough to cause, I mean, heart disease takes decades. Right. So, so for anybody listening, if you've been reading about any specific diet, and you want to try any specific diet, don't be afraid to N equals one experiment for a duration. Set, set like, hey, 60 days, I'm going to give this a shot. For 30 days, I'm going to give this a shot. You're, you're not going to damage yourself in that short time frame. Um, but the thing for me was, I thought, okay, we've only been as a society, or, or as, a, as a species rather, eating a heavy grain-based diet for a short period. Eat some people think it's maybe even up to 100,000 years. But when you look at, you know, hominids and where we came from, we've been evolving for 3 million. So even 100,000 years and agriculturally, you know, less than 10,000 where, where you have them available all the time. So it's, it's a short period in our development as humans where we've been eating this grain heavy diet. So when I went and looked back at how we evolved, you know, I realized that People started, you know, before we were modern humans, but we started as basically similar to gorillas or chimpanzees where we ate 85 to 95% plants and we ate, supplemented with like insects and some meat, which is what most primates still do. If you look at the difference between us and them, but somewhere along the line uh, during the ice age that happened and vegetation becoming, you know, harder to find and basically there being you have to consume a lot of plant matter to gain adequate energy to facilitate a human's body, right? Much higher volume of food. So what, what happened is over, you know, these last 3 million years, we started gravitating toward more energy dense foods. And as we did that, um, we evolved to prefer those foods. So what I, what I realized is that we probably started out as vegetable plant-based supplemented by animal foods and we eventually evolved to be animal-based supplemented by plant foods so i don't i'm not an expert like i'm you know i'm, I'm not a doctor i haven't I, I can't say i'm qualified to say to to know exactly what where we're supposed to be but when i look at all of the vegetable-based madness and everybody it seems like the common perception is well plant-based diet is good all plant-based is better eat vegetables till you can't handle stuff and any more vegetables in your face. And we as a species would not have eaten like that for the last million and a half years, at least. 
right? We would have eaten like that when our digestive system was closer to a gorilla with a huge, you know, colon that could ferment all this plant matter, which we don't have anymore. And so we have changed, our digestive tract has changed, and it's actually more similar to a dog's now than primates. Oh, really? Yeah, especially the, especially the, uh, the microbiome in a human is, scientists are finding it's much more similar to a dog's than they had anticipated. Hmm. So at least from my own personal research, I felt comfortable looking at it from the standpoint of, even if I were to introduce plants again, I will stick to something like 70 to 80% animal-based, whole food animal-based diet supplemented by plants, which to me, especially in Northern climates, makes sense coming out of an ice age, people would have had to rely on high energy animal matter, right? In the ice and a frozen tundra in the winter. Uh, and it would have been more seasonal when they had readily available vegetation. So from a common sense standpoint, more than anything, when I looked at, when I looked at it, I thought, okay, I'm, I was nervous at first about relying so much on animals for nutrition. And then once I started researching, I thought I'm totally comfortable with it. And if I add plants back in, it will be the opposite of what most people think nowadays. It would basically be the foundation of my diet's animal based nutrition. And I'll supplement it with a little bit of plants um, because that's what I think developmentally or biologically we would have done um, as we evolved. So yeah, that's kind of how I reconcile Hey, is it safe to eat that much meat? What are you missing out right. on with plants? And that's kind of what I think is humans largely would have evolved to eat mostly animals and we would have supplemented with plants. So I feel like it's the more natural way to eat. And probably the strongest piece of evidence for that is the last mass extinction. So humans hunted the megafauna to extinction, right? The mammoths, all these different animals, they're gone because we ate them all. And so humans literally became pack hunters and that's what we did, right? We preferred the fatty animal-based nutrition to plant-based. And so that's where I, I would challenge people that think we aren't supposed to eat animals, that, that that's primarily what we're supposed to eat um, because we hunted them to extinction. And our ancestors, had they preferred, you know, vegetables or fruits or whatever else, they would, have, they would not have done that, if that makes sense. So that, that's kind of just a little common sense. It, it makes sense to me. Um, but you've got to do your own research. You've got to read, find out what you're comfortable with. But, but 100% eating any diet for two months. You want to try a vegan diet for two months, try it. You try a carnivore diet for two months, try it. You're not going to damage yourself in two months. And if you don't feel well when you do it, maybe it's not for you. You know, Listen to your body and all that other good stuff. Yeah, no, that's um, a, a pretty responsible thing to say as a fitness and nutrition expert because many – trainers out there will say that this diet is perfect for everyone and this is the solution to all your problems you'll lose weight in 30 days no problems right but you are giving a different approach it's where you need to be experimenting you know do your own research you know your body's different from everybody else um it, it, those disclaimers are very important i think especially today with all the information we have around us well, um, well i think not to interrupt you but i think what happens is and I mentioned this to you before, but it, absolute statements make you think you got, they make it seem like you got all the answers. And I'll see people do it like, you have to lift in this rep range and you got to do this or you're never going to build muscle. And the thing is, uh, there's, I, I've learned as I've gotten older and I used to be more pig headed when I was younger, but there's many paths to the same destination. So people look at me and they're like, oh, there's no way you built that muscle with body weight, but I'm in the best shape of my life. And I have like, when I started doing bodyweight strength training, it wasn't like, oh, I was already this big guy. 
and I just lost weight. Like I've built, my biceps are bigger, my arms are bigger, my shoulders are bigger. Like I've actually gained muscle mass at the same time. I'm now leaner than ever. So I've improved my physique. It wasn't like the first time when I tried body weight and I was just maintaining for the summer, right? That time for sure, I didn't gain any muscle from what I was doing or any noticeable muscle. It was, it was a maintenance phase. But now applying the progressive overload principles, which just means basically always thinking of how I can continue to overload my muscles so my muscles will adapt. Um, I've been able to basically build a physique that looks like I probably lift all the time without actually lifting. And it's the, it's the same with diet. There's many past the same destination. You, you can find people that are lean and look amazing that eat very low carb. And on the other hand, you can find people that are lean and look amazing that eat lots of carbs. So that's why I'm careful about having a blanket recommendation for anybody. My wife feels like crap. She's tried low carb multiple times and every time she feels like crap. Mm. She, and, she, and it's not like she doesn't know how to do it right because I tell her, here, here's, what, here's how you do it, right? She tried keto and she's never got, never got past the headaches, ne- never settled into feeling good. And so for her, and, and the thing is she's lean. She, she's, her blood work, she goes to the doctor and it's always spotless. Everything's good. Inflammation is low. Mm. So like what, by what mechanism would I recommend for her? Hey, you should stop eating carbs. Like why? Her blood work is ideal. She's by all measurable markers, she's super healthy. And so I think that while there's some general things that apply to everybody, like for example, when you get into athletics, when you start working out or for fat loss, it's generally accepted that you want to maintain a certain level of protein in your diet, regardless of where your, where your, 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 you know, carbs or fats are, so there's some things or progressive overload. What I mentioned for people who aren't familiar with what that is, that's like just the, the tenant that we are adaptive as a species and whatever you subject yourself to, you will adapt to it. And so if you don't further overload yourself in this case with your muscles, they will stop adapting. They'll stop growing. They'll stop getting stronger. So for example, if you're doing, Hey, I do 50 pushups every day. That's cool. Do 50 pushups every day but your body's not going to continue to look better. You're going to hit a point where that 50 pushups no longer is adequate stimulus. Right. Right. And it's, I think it's the same for your brain. If you don't keep challenging your brain, your brain stops, you know, yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing with your body. So, so that's one thing I'm always really open-minded with is and curious about different ways that people accomplish different things. And when I was younger thinking I knew a lot more than I did and now being older, I'm like, man, I don't know very much. And the more I learn about anything, the more I realize I don't know that much. Right, unless you know. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, JT. Um, I'd be curious, just as like a final note, on the carnivore diet, if you stuck with the carnivore diet, but you supplemented with multivitamins to, to give you the effect that the vegetables would, even if you weren't eating them. Yeah. So the thing that I think with almost any – almost anything in life, you have extremists. And sometimes extremism is often bad, but not always bad, right? So there, there are some people who are doing a carnivore diet and they're eating, um, some people probably all, I mean, I don't pay that much attention to what they're doing, but there are people who are eating mostly raw meat. Even if it was better for you by a small, by a small percentage to eat raw meat, like I'm not going to eat raw meat, that's just me. I, <laughs> I do like my stuff medium rare to rare. I mean, that's fine. But I, but I like the taste of my meat being grilled. I like, you know, I think for me, I'm not one of these people that I'm looking for optimization at all costs. Right. I, I want to balance opt- I guess kind of like the Pareto principle. I want, I want optimization in the things that I do to an extent 
while still allowing me to enjoy the things that I do. So like some people say, well, a multivitamin is made in, you know, by a vitamin company, it's synthetic, you don't need it. Yeah, you don't need it, but it's not going to hurt you. There's no evidence that it's going to hurt you at all. And if you do happen to have some micro um, nutrient deficiencies, it may potentially help you. So some people take a real hard line stance on certain things, but I don't think there's any evidence to support that. Like if you want to take a multivitamin, that's fine. Take a multivitamin, right? If you're, and, and that's for any diet, not just a carnivore diet. But I think for things like that, yeah, don't, don't worry if somebody else is eating raw meat and drinking blood or whatever the case is. Like, it doesn't mean you got to do that, you know? Yeah. You think about, and just apply kind of common sense to stuff. Sometimes the outliers at the very edge of something, of anything, it's, it's that way with any sport too. The people, if you're trying to be world-class at something, you're going to have to make sacrifices that you probably don't want to make. So if that's not your goal, if, if that makes sense, right? So even though there's some people, there's some documentation that maybe that stuff is good for you, I'm just not really interested in that extra 2% of health or whatever. If, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guess it's I kind of like more in the middle um, where if I can get most of the benefits to something, I'm not necessarily worried about squeezing the last 2% or 3% or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, absolutely. To close this episode, JT, do you want to give listeners an idea of where they can find you online and contact you? Yeah. So on Twitter and on Instagram, um, you can search my name, which is just J-E-R-R-Y. Um, but my last name's Portuguese, so it's a little different. It's T-E-I-X-E-I-R-A. And in Portuguese, is Teixeira. Um, but in most people in America where, you know, where I'm at, they call it Texera is the more common pronunciation. Um, just cause that's kind of what it looks like, yeah, yeah. but on Twitter and on, uh, on Instagram, I'm there. And then, uh, I'll have bodyweightstrength.fit. I'm working on a blog that within about a week I should have up. And of course I'll post that on Twitter and, and, um, Instagram and all that. My Twitter, what I'm doing is teaching. So not, not so much about diet. I mean, I'll talk about that stuff from time to time, but I think that what I can offer people that's the most beneficial and actionable is I can teach you how to progressively overload your body so that you continue to build muscle and get stronger and get the results you would get in a gym without going to the gym. So if you're interested in, even if you lift, if you're interested in having the knowledge to where you say, Hey, I know how to optimize push-ups, pull-ups, um, body weight squats. I know these little tweaks. I, I know what to do to get a gym quality workout anywhere I'm anywhere I happen to be. That's what I think I have a little bit more of a specialized knowledge in. So, so if you follow me, I'm not talking about diet all the time. It's actually very seldom. I do talk about it, but not nearly as much just because I think that what I can offer that's unique is not diet. There's plenty of people talking about that stuff. Um, but far fewer that are talking about the style of training that I do. Um, although I, do strongly believe that certain things that there's dogma and there's, there's a belief, for example, um, that, well, if you're an athlete, you've got to have carbohydrates or you can't perform. And I don't believe that at all. I think that you have to have dietary energy, meaning that whether it's coming from fat or it's coming from carbs, as long as you eat enough calories and energies to sustain that activity level, you can perform at the same level either way. Um, so there's some stuff like that that I, and I, and I have some evidence for that. And I talk about that a little bit, but for the most part, you're going to get training and you're going to get me teaching you how to apply training, um, through body weight, not, not so much diet. And I'm also on YouTube at the same thing. It's just under my name. 
um, just Jerry Texera or Teixeira on, on YouTube. So you can follow me there. I just started the YouTube two weeks ago, but I'm trying to keep uh, all the videos to five minutes or less. I think I went six minutes a couple times, but I'm trying to keep them short and actionable and easy to digest. So yeah, that's where I'm at for now. Awesome. JT, this has been an awesome interview. I can't thank you enough. And let's please keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate it. It was my first time. It was good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome, man. I'll talk cool. to you soon. Yep. Take care.